0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Charting Queer Health, a podcast at the intersection of queer culture, healthcare, and research. On behalf of Howard Brown Health in Chicago, as always, I'm your host, Matt Leske. I identify as a cis-white gay man. I'm a Chicago resident, but most importantly, I have the incredible opportunity to sit down with various experts from across our organization and across our community to learn from their expertise, amplify their stories and voices, and advance the conversation surrounding queer healthcare. Joining us is Dr. Anu Hazra. Uh, you're a friend of the show at this point. Um, we uh, had you on before to uh, talk about Apeeta Month, but this time um, we are a little bit more um, medical-oriented. We're talking about monkeypox, which is uh, a kind of recent uh, topic in the minds of healthcare professionals. Um, and I wanted to get your opinion on a variety of things, kind of walk us through uh, the origins of it, um, what it is, what the effects are, uh, and then we'll kind of talk a little bit more about like the uh, social ramifications of it in kind of comparisons to other diseases. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Monkeypox. I like to start every uh, episode kind of getting our vocabulary correct. Is that the correct term we use to refer to it? Are there alternatives that we would prefer? Yeah. How, How does that all work?
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, monkeypox is the official term, although uh, experts are predicting that WHO will likely be changing the name um, in the near future. Uh, We typically refer to Howard Brown as MPX, um, just because uh, I think uh, the name monkeypox and where it's endemic is somewhat stigmatizing, uh, and it's also not entirely accurate. We can talk a little bit about about that. Yeah. Um, So monkeypox is a part of a virus family called orthopox viruses. There's about four major ones of them. Monkeypox is one of them, cowpox is another one, and smallpox is probably the most well-known in that family. Um, Monkeypox itself is endemic to Central and West Africa, uh, and it's really, uh, the primary vector is actually in rodents, so it's not even monkeys. It was first seen in monkeys, that's why that's how it's got got its name, but its actual vector of where it actually, is the reservoir is, is actually in rodents, and they can be transmitted to humans. Um, there's a few thousand cases of monkeypox a year in, in endemic parts of West and, South Af- uh, West and uh, Central Africa, mm-hmm. uh, but this is the largest um, uh, outbreak in uh, WHO nations outside these endemic areas.
0: Gotcha, so that's why it's kind of uh, on our radar more, because it's not just Africa anymore. Yeah,
1: for better or for worse, that that's why. Yeah, yeah
0: um, and, and so w- when you say WHO WHO nations, um, it, the the nations that were it's endemic to in Africa, are not part of. The WHO, so that's why we haven't been worried about it. Or... No,
1: no. So it's the WHO splits the globe in different regions, and so um, okay. in the in the Western Central African region, um, you know, this has been something that has been again endemic, and unfortunately, like a lot of endemic illnesses in uh, low and middle income countries are often ignored uh, globally until it impacts higher income nations, and so um, this has been you know a major issue uh, throughout uh, Western Central Africa for decades now, um, and there has not been a lot of work or research done around this um, and until now. And again, for better or for worse, because it's impacting other countries, is now that uh, we have uh, a lot more global attention on this virus.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. So uh, when you say it's kind of in the, the pox uh, what was the term for the family of, of yeah of,
1: it's orthopox virus orthopox virus yeah.
0: okay so people know the term smallpox but it kind of has an antiquated association with it that like smallpox really isn't a factor for most people anymore yeah. because of the vaccine how is monkeypox similar in in symptoms uh inside of x and how is it different
1: yeah yeah so um smallpox was a major real plague uh, for the globe, uh, for a greater part of human civilization. Uh, It got its name smallpox because greatpox was actually known as syphilis. So syphilis was known as the greatpox, and smallpox, they just needed another name for another sort of really endemic uh, epidemic uh, pox kind of uh, manifestation. So back in those days, we would diagnose things by the way they looked. And so pox just meant like skin lesions. That's just mm-hmm. what it means. And so we saw multiple different infections causing skin lesions. One of them being syphilis, which is known as the great pox, just because it affected so many people. Um, and then smallpox was because they thought the lesions were a little bit smaller and didn't affect as many. Uh, but, you, but you're correct. The very first vaccine was by Edward Jenner for smallpox vaccine. And this is really where most of our vaccine technology and understanding has all come from, um, there was major efforts to eradicate smallpox in this uh, in, around the globe, uh, which was you know accomplished in, in the 1980s. And there's still some outbreaks here and there. Smallpox is a debilitating disease. It is a severe uh, disease, disfiguring, um, and it is um, uh, in that regard much higher degree of sort of morbidity than you have with uh, with monkeypox. Um, and monkeypox itself, again, while it's in the pox in that orthopox family. Uh, is considered a milder disease, and, and particularly there's two different clades or strains of it, one that's in the Congo or Central African Basin, and one that's in West Africa. And the West African strain is known to be a bit more mild and have less of a case fatality rate. And that is what is the primary strain that is being circulated outside of Africa with this current outbreak.
0: Gotcha. So the less fatal strain is the one that's circulating. Correct. So at least there's that. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm interested that you mentioned that syphilis was referred to as great pox, because I think if... I mean, we talk a lot about like stigmatization and stuff on here, Um, and you know, syphilis is an STI, and I feel it's just interesting to me that it was once so widespread and and normalized that it was just great pox. Uh, So it makes me think, like, what if we referred to STIs in a similar fashion today? It wouldn't be as you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think you know, uh, all communicable diseases are uh, like run around the fault lines of so- social and economic uh, sort of ina- inequities, and hmm. that's what we've seen with STIs, which we've seen with syphilis, we've seen with COVID, um, and that's what we'll see with with monkeypox itself. But but yeah, no. I mean, I think we'll talk about sort of the social implications yeah. of this current outbreak. Uh, but but for sure, stigmatization is something that a lot of us are very aware of and trying to make sure that we are mitigating that because we don't want stigma. To to become another obstacle in in trying to take care of patients who may be exposed or have monkeypox.
0: Right, I'm what we're running into in kind of messaging on, uh, you know, Howard Brown's social medias and things is that people aren't uh, very concerned because they haven't heard that you know it's it is non lethal, and when we say like thousands of cases when we have just come through a global pandemic that seems so small and the symptoms seem so insignificant. Um, We're really having a hard time getting people to pay attention to it and to take steps to prevent themselves. Can you run us through some of uh, the symptoms that maybe might be less obvious or just uh, remind us of the symptoms uh, so that people are aware? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I I first want to say that, like, I completely acknowledge that we are all Like, really tired. Like, (laughs) right, like we are exiting or trying to exit this global pandemic that's been going on for two and a half years now, and people just don't want to deal with another thing. I completely understand that. It's important to know that just because diseases don't kill you doesn't mean we don't care about them. Um, Gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, these are diseases that don't typically kill people, but we still care a lot about them uh, because we need to know how to stop ongoing transmission uh, of these types of pathogens. So, while correct. Uh, we are lucky that this particular virus is not the same lethality as, as COVID-19 or SARS-CoV-2. Just because it doesn't kill people doesn't mean it's something we can ignore or, or not care about. Um, so like we talked about, you know, monkeypox, like most of the other pox uh, orthopox virus in those families, are known for its skin lesions. Uh, and it's typically um, skin lesions that crop up in the same um, uh, so, in general, when we think about um, different types of uh, of poxes, um, it, they differ by where they're located, like where the lesions are located, and whether the lesions all look the same or are in different um, sort of uh, are in different stages of healing. Mm-hmm. And so, monkey pox actually uh, presents largely in the torso and the limbs, um, and um, and is always in the same stages of healing. So, the pe- all the sort of um, skin lesions uh, look the same, and they age the same way, typically. Gotcha. This current outbreak is a little unusual because we're seeing skin lesions where we don't typically see t- classic monkeypox skin lesions. So we're seeing skin lesions in the anogenital tract, we're seeing intraanal skin lesions, uh, or even intraurethral skin lesions. Um, and so these are lesions that tend to be a lot more painful, um, can leave scarring, um, and again, can take a long time to, to, to heal. So, again, while it's not lethal, thankfully. Um, Just because it's not lethal doesn't mean it doesn't cause some sort of morbidity or some sort of issues for the people who are affected by it.
0: I say intra-urethral, let's let that um, sink in because I think that sounds like the most uh, unpleasant thing possible. Um, We are used to the quarantining uh, with COVID. Is there what does protecting other people in your life look like if you do get diagnosed with monkeypox?
1: Yeah, so um, the one thing to know about monkeypox uh, is that the incubation period is actually pretty long. So incubation period is defined as from the time of exposure to when someone is contagious. Um, so with SARS-CoV-2, it's a very short incubation period. We think about you know when you get exposed and when people want to get tested potentially, or when they're potentially infectious, it's just a matter of like a few days yeah. max. Uh, monkeypox is actually almost closer to two weeks. Oh, wow. So you have a really prolonged incubation period. And what that allows us to do is we can actually contact trace and we can be like, hey, you've been exposed to monkeypox. We can talk about what you know potential prophylaxis there is for that, mm-hmm. but also be like, you should probably refrain from any close contact with anyone until you you're out of this potential window period to know whether or not you are. Presenting with monkeypox, gotcha. the lesions themselves, while you know, can take about two weeks to um, uh, to appear, uh, can take up to three to four weeks to completely disappear. So it can take a long time for the skin lesions to mature and go through all the stages where they actually become scabs and then the scabs fall off. Um, and so until the the lesions scab over, these lesions are infectious, uh, mm-hmm. meaning by tactile touch, by intimate touch, any way that people come in contact with lesions, that's the primary way of transmitting monkeypox from one person to another. And so if someone Think they have monkeypox, the first thing to do is try to get access to testing. And we can talk about how that has been difficult yeah. uh, across the country and across the globe. Uh, but, but really, the most important thing is to get tested and be able to isolate yourself and be able to, in, most importantly, cover those lesions, particularly when you're around others, if possible.
0: Yeah. So I so the, the first part of what you're mentioning, like if you think you've been exposed, but you're not necessarily exhibiting symptoms, it's like a two-week quarantine to see if the, those symptoms develop um, if you don't have testing. Yeah. And it's not a quarantine that you're like
1: stuck in the house, but like you probably should refrain from sexual, new sexual partners or or whatnot, uh, or close contact or touch, um, uh, until you know, for sure that, you know, you're not developing potentially those lesions or
0: not. Right. So let's take a real world example. Uh, IML happened and that was a big concern for monkeypox. Let's say you knew somebody that you were around that weekend tested positive, but you're not showing any symptoms. Would you still be able to test Positive, even if you didn't have like outward expressions within those two weeks.
1: Yeah, so um, the only way we can test is actually get, like testing a lesion. lesion. So okay. y- unless you, if you don't have a lesion, there's really nothing to, to test gotcha. at, least at this point. So okay. right for IML specifically happened Memorial Day weekend, right? So that's you know over four weeks away now. If you're concerned, you were exposed during IML um, and you didn't have. Lesions already, you likely wouldn't. Yeah, are not infected, but then you gotta think about have you had sexual partners since IML? Have you done anything during Pride? Um, These, you know, ongoing each exposure is another potential uh, risk of, of, again, uh, potentially uh, getting infected with monkeypox.
0: Okay, so yeah, I was just trying to wrap my head a little bit uh, around the difference because again to keep comparing with covid you can test positive and not know it right and that was the big kind of hazard but right. with this at least it's like you if you're paying attention to your own body and the bodies of your partners you should at least be able to know yeah okay that's encouraging um so so again to recap once if you do test positive with the lesions it's until the scabs heal up which is yeah. different for everybody yeah and I,
1: I mean yes it's different for everyone it's like three weeks. For the most, like 21 days for most mm-hmm. people, it can be up to five weeks in other people. Um, and I will say it's not just like skin lesions. We're seeing like proctitis, so it's like inflammation or the very end of mm-hmm. your of your GI tract or your anus and whatnot. So this is a common symptom that's related to like rectal gonorrhea, rectal chlamydia infections. And so if you're presenting with that and you you know test negative for all of the um, uh, all of those STIs and you've been empirically treated and you're still having symptoms, uh, you should be considered. You should be considering potentially monkeypox in these situations. So again, this is a uh, we're seeing a lot of atypical presentations right mm-hmm. now. Uh, but if you're having any rash, any skin condition or whatnot that's unexplained, uh, you should uh, try to get testing done and make sure you're isolating yourself until, again, these lesions fully heal.
0: Yeah. So are there any cases where lesions are not present? And they still test positive, or will it always be some sort of skin manifestation?
1: So we've seen um, cases where um, it was just proctitis. So okay. then we did like an anal swab of uh, uh, we couldn't really see a lesion, but we did an anal swab, and that ended up being positive. And gotcha. it's like a prolonged. And the people feel that pro- if anyone's had proctitis, you know, it's not a very fun symptom to have. Uh, every time you want to go to the bathroom, it's painful, or mm-hmm. it's, it's hard for you to pass bowel movements. And those symptoms will last until you right. know the you, the uh, virus runs
0: its course. So you'll you'll know. Even if there's Correct. not lesions, that something wrong. else is going on. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. Like I said before, that's kind of. In, I mean, it's not encouraging, but it's a little bit more helpful when you're trying to track down a disease if it has concrete physical representations right. every time. So, uh, in terms of, um, let's dive into the like the testing and the vaccine because mm-hmm. I was on, I'm on Twitter and I know you are as well. And there was something in NYC. They like randomly opened a clinic yeah. for a vaccine uh, for yeah. like. Walk-ins for like three hours, and uh, there's that SNL uh, old SNL sketch, um, Stefan who does like the, yeah. is yeah. like the hottest club in New York it's is whatever. People were like, the hottest club in New York is the Chelsea line. Health Center. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's Chelsea yeah. Health Center. Should I to get a vaccine? It was um, like,
1: what if we met outside the Chelsea Health Center? Right. What if we kissed in line for our smallpox
0: <laughs> vaccines Yeah. It was. There was a lot of discourse about that, and um, I haven't heard anything from Chicago or other major cities. What is the status with? Um, readily available testing and or vaccines.
1: Yeah, so uh, let's talk about testing first. Um, So testing is difficult now. Uh, It is a bit cumbersome uh, because every test needs to be approved by the city and the state uh, to be run. Um, And so as a provider, uh, you have to call uh, someone from Chicago Department of Public Health and Illinois Department of Public Health uh, to have them approve. It's not difficult to approve, but they still need to go through that process. process, And so it takes time. Um, The results are typically back within 24 to 48 hours, there's still some issues with, you know, testing run. These are PCR tests are so very similar to how we think about COVID, PCRs, et cetera. Uh, but testing is definitely not widespread. There's no commercially available testing mm. that's still yet in this country. Gotcha. And I think that is definitely limiting how many cases we're diagnosing. Um, if you guys have been following sort of COVID epidemiology, you know, we, a lot of cities have been using wastewater as a way to detect how much COVID is an environment. Um, we're detecting uh, monkeypox in the wastewater of San Francisco. And New York City, and this means that there are likely a lot more cases than we're able to actually diagnose because our bottleneck is trying to get testing done. The CDC said by July we should have commercially available tests done. Um, That was from Dimitri Daskalakis as as well as other folks in the CDC. Mm -hmm. So I have faith that this will happen. Uh, I wish it was happening sooner than later because this testing bottleneck is really, you know. We talk about knowing your status all the time and knowing your status is empowering. And so if we are not able to test folks, then folks just remain in the dark of whether they have a disease or they don't have a disease. And it's really hard to control a disease when you have such a bottleneck with testing.
0: Yeah. So so like when, when we would do COVID testing, a a doctor would have a a supply of them be able to run them right there in house. This, you have to call up to a different agency. And so you send the test to that agency as well to get it confirmed. Yeah. So
1: in the very beginning of COVID, this is how we were testing for COVID. So really? the state, this, the local health departments had to approve every COVID test that was done. This was quickly ameliorated uh, by the CDC shortly after, but in, you know, February and into March, the only way we could get testing done was through approvals through the local health department. So we had this bottleneck as well. And if you remember, it was very difficult to get a COVID test for a large part of that early part of the pandemic. It's a, it's very different now, uh, but it took a lot of mobilization to get where we are right now. Um, uh, but but yeah, so, so currently, every test that's run across the country, it's not just Chicago, across the country, needs to be approved by the local health department first. And then uh, the test can be run because it's essentially sent to local health department, which then runs the test. Um, and then uh, the results come back to the clinic.
0: Wow. So yeah, there is a lot of rigmarole to go through to try to just get a simple Yeah, as test. a
1: provider, it's very frustrating. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I understand why there they're doing it this way or starting this way. But I really hope the CDC uh, sort of expedites, again, the commercially available tests, just like how uh, SARS-CoV-2 testing became commercially available through Quest or LabCorp, et cetera. Uh, That's sort of what we need right now.
0: As as a provider, do you foresee or have you heard of uh, providers, because there's so much process involved with testing for monkeypox, just kind of saying like, lay low and hope it goes away? like. Yeah, I'm no one, no one has that. come
1: out and was brave right. enough to say that to me directly. But I think that's like human nature. Like, if you create so many obstacles to get a test done, people will just be like, "Well, I'm not going to spend you know an hour of my busy clinic trying to call multiple different departments and and trying to get this testing done." Right. Um, the, I, I will say to the credit of of CDPH and IDPH, they have made the testing situation a lot easier to get done, and they've tried to streamline you know how many swabs have to be sent, etc. And again, it's just a call and they approve it immediately. I'm not, you know, begging for a test, uh, but it's still a process. Yeah. You know, it's uh, you think about how easy it is to get any other testing done, and it would be ideal to get to that point sooner than later.
0: Gotcha. I, I, hopefully, obviously, testing happens uh, quicker soon. Um, do you first, like, d- would patients have to advocate for testing if they're concerned about it? Do you think there are situations like that where they might have to be, like kind of push for like, I know I actually want a monkeypox test. test? I, 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 yes, and I, I think
1: it might be sort of where they seek care. So right. places like Howard Brown, we've been preparing for this for several weeks now. Uh, you know, majority of the new cases in Europe and Canada were diagnosed in sexual health clinics. Um, and so we knew as, you know, the the largest sexual health clinic in the city of Chicago, which is the second, third largest city in the country, uh, that we had to be prepared for this. And so uh, we had things in place already, but certain hospitals and healthcare systems don't uh, or still don't. Uh, and so so it's not quite clear how they would sort of proceed with this testing they don't have a protocol in place etc right. so um it really depends maybe where you're seeking care and if you're really looking for a test um i i, I would advocate you know you know conflict of disclosure i guess yeah. but like i would advocate uh, you know howard brown uh, at least in city of chicago this is something that we have been now planning for since since may
0: gotcha so uh moving on to the vaccine portion i know the Chelsea Clinic or whatever it was, yeah. was giving out a vaccine. What vaccine is that? Is it specifically for monkeypox or is it just the smallpox vaccine? Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, the vaccine is the Janios vaccine. It's the uh, actually a, a vaccine created for smallpox. So like I mentioned, Edward Jenner, like the like the creator of vaccinology, et cetera, mm-hmm. uh, created the first vaccine for smallpox, which is based off cowpox, et cetera. Um, you know, the vaccine that was used for this smallpox eradication across the country uh, was actually a pretty um, morbid vaccine. It was actually like, a two-pronged needle that leaves a scar. So if you see folks from sort of smallpox endemic countries, you might see a scar on their deltoid or whatnot, and that's actually a smallpox vaccine that they've had. Uh, and then in, um, in the uh, early 2000s and the 2010s, we were able to create um, a, 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 a smallpox vaccine. It was a bit updated with less side effects and be able to administer through a regular needle. And that's the Janus vaccine. Gotcha. The Janus vaccine was actually studied specifically for monkeypox exposures and, and laboratory workers who are maybe exposed to monkeypox and handling specimens or whatnot gotcha. and that showed to be effective uh, for monkeypox so we're utilizing that evidence to now vaccinate folks for um uh for monkeypox currently Um, the city of Chicago and and most other um, parts of the country uh, are offering this vaccine for close contacts to to positive cases, almost like a post-exposure prophylaxis uh, type of vaccine that, oh, you've been exposed potentially to monkeypox. Here's a vaccine to help prevent that from from happening. And that's really Mm -hmm. what was studied in the laboratory healthcare workers was sort of this in in this post-exposure setting. Gotcha. Um, The city of New York, the Chelsea um, um, uh, uh, Health Clinic, which is one of the several sexual health clinics at the Chicago, uh, the New York Department, Department of Health uh, and Mental Hygiene operate um, did start vaccinating folks um, with the Janus vaccine as pre-exposure prophylaxis or Mm -hmm. just prophylaxis, like you would vaccine any, uh, any other vaccines work. Um, they tried to do it word of mouth, which, um, I think, you know, gays talk to each other a lot. And so I, I think it became about 200 to 250 people lined up within an hour outside the Chelsea wow. Health Clinic. Um, they ran out of vaccine, um, you know, their, uh, booking system ended up crashing and, you know, it was maybe not, uh, the most ideal way, but I have to give them credit that they were the first city in the United States to start offering this vaccine. Do I, think, it, yeah. I think we're all sort of like wringing our hands and, and trying to figure out like, you know, who should be vaccinated and the demand is here like you know i talk to my friends i talk to my patients and everyone wants to know like when is a vaccine going to be available? Uh, the D.C. Health Department just initiated vaccines in high-risk individuals, specifically in gay, bisexual, MSM, or men of sex with men, uh, just yesterday. And so it's now two cities in the in, in the country that are offering uh, vaccines for uh, for who they would consider high-risk uh, individuals uh, for for monkeypox. Gotcha. And so um, I'm hoping Chicago will follow suit soon. Um, I think, you know, uh, we'll be seeing probably other cities um, start to do this. We have a, a little north of 1 million uh, vaccine doses of the Chinese vaccine in the national stockpile, and again, Howard Brown Health and individual health centers cannot make that decision of whether to vaccinate folks. It has to come from the health department uh, because they draw those doses from the national stockpile, um, and so this has to be a it's a it's a it's a decision made at the public health department level. Uh, and I'm hoping um, the city of Chicago will will follow suit because the demand is is certainly here.
0: Gotcha. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's good to know how vaccines are kind of. Um disseminated through the health department because so so if if they do approve it then Howard Brown would just get like a fixed number and it's up to Howard Brown to kind of
1: yeah just like how COVID vaccines worked if you guys yeah. remember like how difficult it was to find a COVID vaccine appointment back in the, this is like bringing yeah. a lot of PTSD for a lot of folks yeah well I, I
0: now that I'm thinking about it I think I blocked it out like I don't remember how difficult it was yeah. early on because I was just trying not yeah. to remember it yeah but like
1: folks were like trying to get their parents vaccines like you know like waiting until like 1201 when like the oh, things yeah. would open and then try to like get all these appointments people would get like multiple appointments because they yeah. thought things would run out um, I will say the Janus vaccine is a two-dose vaccine so it's, a, uh, it's separated by four weeks and technically you're not protected again until two weeks after that second dose just like we think about the COVID vaccine right um, and so it's not just a one and done uh, it's a two-dose vaccine so something else to think about and again another like a little nuance that we have to figure out when we think about vaccine rollout
0: interesting okay that's that helps kind of clear that all up because, yeah, I people were like, well, there is a vaccine, but it's not specifically for monkeypox or there is a vaccine, but, you know, it's hard to get and et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully that will uh, clear things up and that kind of um, rollout of that happens soon. So um, kind of transitioning into the sociological, is that the right word? Social yeah. aspects of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious because I've been seeing discourse on Twitter recently that the um, kind of government response to this is echoing the hiv aids epidemic in that um they're kind of reluctant to take it seriously until it impacts um uh you know a a broader population so right now like you said we are seeing it in um, men who have sex with men msm in case you aren't aware of that um acronym i guess to start off why are we seeing it in this community primarily Yeah.
1: yeah so you know um the the last outbreak in the United States for monkeypox actually happened in Wisconsin, so actually local here, and it was connected to like. Um the sale of of uh, of prairie dogs that were exposed to like Gambian rats in like transport. It's like <laughs> very I strange. Mean, you could know, buy prairie dogs. Yeah. Okay. So it was it was it was associated with these prairie dog sales, and and, and that's what and that was the the, the way that transmission happened uh, when people would buy these prairie dogs that were infected with monkeypox. They would like sleep with them in bed and stuff like that, and then like get like lesions that way. It was interesting. Um, This current outbreak is largely driven through sexual transmission. And if we know anything about STIs and sexual transmission, not to say monkeypox isn't an an STI or not an STI, we can talk about that in a little bit, Uh, but we know that it's driven through sexual transmission and if we know anything about sexual transmission, it's all about networks. It's all about who do you have sex with, who are the people you have sex with? Who do they have sex with? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we know that oftentimes sexual networks of, of, of gay and bisexual men who sex with men uh, overlap a lot uh, and uh, are sometimes close knit. Um, and, and so that's where we're seeing majority of this transmission being spread. It does not mean that this is a gay disease or something that only impacts. Monkeypox doesn't care if you're gay or not. It just cares if you're in contact with a lesion that if someone who's infectious, right? Right. So, um, and what we're seeing, the primary driver for that is through sex. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing it in in MSM sexual networks. does not mean it's going to stay in these sexual networks forever. It could jump to another sexual network or another type of network itself. But that's where we've been seeing it. And still in the United States, that's, that's where we're seeing uh, the majority of, uh, of cases, and which is why the um, you know other countries, as well as D.C. and New York City, are focusing on this population about prevention. So who are the people who are impacted the most? How do we get them access to prevention
0: earlier? Gotcha. Okay, so it 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 does kind of have echoes of HIV in that uh, you know it's a disease that can affect anyone, but uh, just purely as a function of how sexual networks work, um, it's more uh, seen more abundantly in uh, men who have sex with men. Is there any truth to the um, to the idea that like we've men who have sex with men or or, or gay men or whoever as the case may be are are. Pr- are better than the general public public at um kind of advocating for their own health and knowing their own bodies because we've been through this before like i know you know for me i'm young and didn't experience the hiv epidemic but i get my blood tested every three months for prep and i'm you know you know we're, we're kind of used to that discussion of or talking with people about what are your symptoms you know yeah. kind of informed um decision making when it comes to sexual habits is that true in your experience with uh the I, MSM community.
1: I, I think I, th- I I agree with you. I, th- I think queer people have a different type of a relationship with public health than maybe other fo- non queer folks. And I think a lot of that stems from the HIV epidemic. I think a lot of that stems from sexual health or potentially lack of sexual health education that folks have had, where they have to feel like they need to feel empowered and, and really take care of their 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 own health directly. Um, you know queer folks about, like, uh, had the highest rates of COVID vaccination and, and vaccine uptake than sort of any other sort of marginalized group itself. Um, if you guys remember the July 4th outbreak in P-Town was traced through um, mm-hmm. sort of gay men who sat down with an Excel spreadsheet and basically sort of wrote out everyone who was potentially infected who were all, and it was the first cluster of folks that were vaccinated who were infected with COVID, right? So I think in general, queer folks just have a different relationship with public health. And again, for better or for worse historically or, 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 or not, um, and 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 oftentimes demand more uh, from public health agencies because um, they realize that maybe there's not folks higher up that are advocating for them. I completely understand how folks feel like this echoes a lot of the HIV epidemic. I will say the CDC director, Dr. Raquel Walensky, is a prolific HIV researcher. Mm. Her entire career has been grounded and, and really cemented in the work of HIV and reducing health disparities among people living with HIV and vulnerable to HIV. I think the tenure and tone of the CDC as they've been responding to the monkeypox epidemic has actually been... Very good. Oh, good. I agree. The logistics of testing and vaccines; uh, these delays are inexcusable, and I think that's 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 a correct word to use. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a lot of that's not in the power of a single person at the CDC. A lot of that is through the bureaucracy of how government works, uh, and so I I, I think. I understand the parallels people are making. This is a you know a virus that is affecting gay and bisexual men, except men, and it feels like we're not doing anything. Um, I will also say um, it also echoes how people within the community just didn't want to think about it and didn't want to care about it uh, when HIV mm. first hit either. Uh, I think it goes both ways. This, this idea of what is this new disease? I don't want to learn about this. I'm or you know again ignorance just breeds fear and being. Able to have that knowledge is really empowering, and I think the CDC has done a really good job. Like the CDC website on monkeypox is an amazing resource. I recommend it to anyone who just wants to learn more about where the epidemic is, what are the case rates and numbers across the country. Um, they have really great um, affirming sort of language around uh, prevention and, and how to take care of yourself if you have monkeypox or you've been exposed to monkeypox, um, even potential ways to, to have safer sex or, or other safer sex practices uh, if you're concerned about monkeypox. These are all things that I don't think the prior administration of the CDC would be as attuned to doing, and that's all really based on the work of Dr. Walensky and Dr. Daskalakis, who's again, all of their work has been really centered around uh, equity among people living with and vulnerable to HIV. So I completely understand the criticism the CDC has been getting. uh, But when I compare this to our initial COVID response, I am actually quite pleasantly surprised, but still the bureaucratic delays, again, are inexcusable, and I'm hoping we can push through a lot of this red tape and try to get, again, uh, testing and vaccines to people who need it sooner than later.
0: That's encouraging to hear that it's not just, you know, a people's personal ignorance that's kind of fueling the delay it's just kind of how government works and that's I think evident in any governmental body or system uh lawmaking whatever it is disseminating vaccines it's a slow process um it's also I that's a great point that you made about kind of the ignorance or um you know apathy apathy that's that's the word I was looking for apathy both within and without the community um I've seen an equal amount of tweets of people being like if I don't if I leave pride weekend without monkeypox, it wasn't a success or something, which is like the worst attitude to have towards that. But there's definitely that like, You know, we get tested for everything else and you had COVID on top of it. Like, why should I, you know, expend energy worrying about yet another disease? And I
1: get it. again, people are tired. It's summertime. People want to enjoy themselves. And I don't think the messaging is like, you can't enjoy yourself. I think there's ways of thinking about harm reduction. We talk about it in sort of every other aspect of our lives Mm -hmm. of how to reduce, not, you can never eliminate You know, your risk, but how do you reduce the risk to your best abilities? And again, the CDC has really nice resources of thinking about harm reduction and how you can still enjoy your summer, enjoy, you know, the last two days of Pride Month, um, however you'd like, and and then still be able to take care of yourself. Again, it's just being aware of this, uh, that this is around us. This is a lot higher case rates than we're seeing because of our bottleneck with testing. And you should be uh, uh,
0: understanding that this could impact you and what to do if it does. Yeah. I wanted to. Ask, because as COVID has continued, we've had more and more uh, studies and realizations of uh, possible long-term effects of COVID uh, that we weren't aware of. Um, COVID was obviously a completely new... Um, virus and so there was a lot of discoveries being made as the pandemic continued monkeypox seems like it's at least uh, in a family of viruses that is more well known are there long-term ramifications to um, contracting monkeypox
1: yeah i mean monkeypox has been i think was first identified in the 50s so it's been around for like a decent amount of time Mm -hmm. um uh, and so i think there hasn't been anything that's been described as sort of a long-term complications of monkeypox and again in the world of medicine you always say never say never right, right. Um, and so there's still plenty of unknowns again these typical the presentations are rather atypical with this current outbreak I think the the biggest sort of long-term consequence that I can think about and what I talk to patients about is the scarring, right? So like, you know, potentially having anal genital scarring from lesions that have healed. Um, You think about if you've ever seen pictures of folks who've recovered from smallpox, it's a disfiguring disease. And while monkeypox is not to the same degree, but it can still cause that type of scarring and disfigurement, um, particularly in your genitals or your anus. And, you know, it's something that people would not want in general. And while it does not Maybe cause like long term health consequences will definitely potentially cause you know other types of uh, consequences to, uh, for for patients. So again, just because something doesn't kill you doesn't mean we don't care about it, right? There's yeah. plenty of diseases that don't kill us, but we still track them and try to control them. Uh, and monkeypox is no different.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I asked because, like I said before, we were trying to find ways to kind of get people to buy in that this is something they should be aware of, and not to like paint with too broad a brushstroke, but gaze and and some. To some degree, queer people in general uh, are a, a little vain, or at least the gays that I'm in contact with on Twitter at least are a little vain. So hopefully... Um,
1: I don't think it's just gays. I think anyone with their genitals wouldn't want <laughs> scarring or disfiguring of fair. their genitals. That's yeah, fair. Yeah. I, think, I guess yeah. it's,
0: that's when, when you yeah. put it that way. That's, that's that's true. That's a good point. Um, and we, we are getting close on time here, but I did want to touch on that one um, comment of... Uh, why this is not an STI um so dive into that a little bit because I'm, I'm curious yeah yeah
1: so this was like a, a big discussion like the month of May we're like are you know are we calling monkeypox an STI or not and for me, it's like, like who cares? Like, I mean, like we, we know how it's transmitted. It's transmitted through close contact, right? Uh, the reason why it's not considered an STI is because STIs, gonorrhea, chlamydia, syphilis, are primarily transmitted through sex, sexual transmission. So either in sort of seminal fluids, in vaginal fluids, et cetera, or, or oftentimes only transmitted through the act of sex. And right. we know that that's not how monkeypox transmits itself. So mm-hmm. by that definition is why we don't consider it an STI. But at the end of the day, it's like, why are we wasting time about this? Like, we know that right. sexual transmission incorporates intimate contact. People can catch COVID through sex, but we don't consider COVID uh, an STI, right? You can catch um, sort of a common cold through sex, right? Through intimate touching and, and kissing, but we don't consider the common cold an STI. Uh, it's just something that is, is transmitted through close contact, and sex involves close contact. Right. And so that's why you think about it that way. I mean, if it's easier for people to wrap their minds around thinking about an STI, I think it's completely fine to think about mm-hmm. it that way. Uh, but that's it's just not how it's classified currently.
0: Gotcha. Okay, that helps clear it up. So it's it's there's other methods of transmission other than purely sexual, right? You to I don't know if we stated this. You can get it through kissing,
1: correct? So if they have a lesion around their mouth or on their face, okay. um, yes, you can. Yeah, yeah but yeah. if they
0: don't have lesions that you would have a mouth near so
1: right so you're bringing up a good point of like so we talked a lot about transmission through touch mm-hmm. and those are other forms of transmission so it has been shown to potentially transmit through droplets or again sort of like secretions of your nose and, and your mouth um and so that is possible again not the primary means of transmission right. um, but possible again the the most effective mean of transmission for um, uh, for this virus is really through contact with the lesions themselves. Um, uh, there is some evidence of droplet transmission, but by by it's, it, by it no means is that would be considered the most effective means or the primary means of transmitting this okay.
0: virus. I've heard people say that uh, gays like to say hi by like kissing on the mouth. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I was just curious because I think that would change people's uh, behaviors because if, you know, I've, all the messaging is oriented towards lesions and it's like well you know my body's covered up and I haven't had sex with anybody yeah. but I do kiss my friends in the dance floor when we're drunk yeah, like yeah. you know there's kind of people will uh, justify things in their mind yeah. of like what's safe and what's not so and I wanted I, to kind of clarify
1: I will say I, I, I didn't touch on this but there's other systemic signs of monkeypox infection which include like fevers swollen lymph nodes in addition to the skin uh, lesions themselves. Okay. so there's other things to look out for when you're just not feeling well again not a good time in general with COVID not a good time to be hanging out with other folks if you're not feeling well, right. and try and get checked out if that's the case.
0: Makes sense, yeah. I mean, as always with with anything like this, it's being in tune with your own body and, and, and those symptoms and stuff. So, uh, to wrap it up, uh, long term, is there you know do you see this being? a a huge issue going forward? Is it kind of dependent on testing? What's the prognosis for monkeypox as it like kind of impacts uh, society? I'm not going to make any crystal ball predictions (laughs) because I've been so wrong these past two and a half years. Um, I think we're
1: in a critical time right now. Um, So it took 30 days to get to the first thousand cases of monkeypox. It took three days to get to the next thousand cases. Um, And so I think we are seeing, this is a critical time for us to be able to control and try to stop downstream transmission of this virus. And again, the fact that it's a long incubation period is really helpful for us because then we can potentially isolate folks or let folks know that you need to be aware of you know xyz symptoms and refrain from sex until we know you're sort of in the clear or you know not potentially having um, uh, a monkeypox infection uh, but really the time to act is like that window of opportunity is continuing to close again mm-hmm. all the more reason why we need to get over these hurdles around testing and vaccines for uh, these populations that are disproportionately impacted by this current outbreak.
0: Gotcha so we're really in this critical period where because we don't have as much uh, testing or vaccine capability. It's really the onus is is on us as a community to really uh, identify,
1: you know, if you're not feeling well, if you're identifying lesions and being able to talk to your friends about again, I I always say knowledge is power and understanding more about the virus uh, makes you feel more empowered about your health and and knowing that you can come to a place like Howard Brown uh, to get testing done is something that is important to know.
0: Perfect. Those I think are great words to, to wrap up the episode. So uh, Anu, thank you so much for, yeah, for coming and for sharing your expertise. Uh, hopefully we don't have to have a second or third episode about <laughs> monkeypox and we'll just uh, leave it on this. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that has been our episode about all things monkeypox. Uh, you can visit the links below in the description to learn more from the CDC or you can go to www.howardbrown.org for more information. Thanks for listening.